either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Christmas week at the movies, and boy, we've got a load. We have got a bunch of options. Christmas, of course, always a big movie-going time. you got a good variety of stuff to choose from and some very, very good films. And we'll talk about them. Let's do that. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. We're from MadWolf.com, and let's start out with the latest from Yorgos Lanthimos, one of our favorites, the incredible tale about the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by the brilliant and unorthodox scientist Dr. Godwin Baxter. This is Poor Things. Tell me, where did she come from? I shall. For it is a happy tale. I am Bella Baxter, and there is a world to enjoy, circumnavigate. It is the goal of all to progress, grow. A woman plotting her course to freedom. How delightful. Oh. Yeah, anytime Yorgos Lanthimos is making a movie, I want to see it. And we've loved them all. And this one is probably his best and one of the best movies of the year. Uh, yeah, it, it actually absolutely gets my vote as the best, the best film of 2023. And that's, a, that's some stiff competition. But, you know, it's the screenplay is spectacular the performances are insane and my god the set design the the look of this movie is like nothing else yeah everything about it is great the writers are tony mcnamara and alistair gray and yorgos is the director and it's a basic it's a riff it's a different riff on the frankenstein tale the the frankenstein method and uh, as you said rightly in your written review many many filmmakers and storytellers have tried to do their own take on that legend and this one is something we haven't seen before, and it works in so many different ways because it's smart, it's insightful, it's it's satirical, it's dryly hilarious. It really is. And it has something to say, and it says it in a, in a new way, and it's got fantastic performances across the board. And it's just it's just such a ride as you go along with Bella, because uh, Emma Stone plays Bella. Fanta- she's, she's great. And she is reanimated, an adult body, with a small child's brain by this Dr. Godwin. She calls him God, uh, Baxter. And then once she has this, she's a lot reanimated with this small child's brain, but she has an adult body, then she begins the process of navigating the world, but without any preconceived notions about societal etiquette or as a woman, any sort of shame in a man's world and how she attacks it is just it's fascinating and and such a such a different way of looking at this, quote unquote, Frankenstein legend. Yeah, it's it's remarkably uh, astute in the way that it is is written and, and Emma Stone's performance. And it's <clears throat> it's one of those roles where you think every actor is dying because it's the whole evolution of a human being. Um, and she's so good in every aspect, like at, at every sort of stage in in Bella's development. She's so good. She's so convincing. But also just the stuff that that they, you know, there's no shame in the way that the, that this character has been created. It's it's hilarious, and it really points a finger at. Look at all the shit women have to pretend is terrible, like all these taboos that we have to, <laughs> and it's so restrictive. And and just to see how 
one character can flourish without that um, and, and how, still point out how, and yet the men in her life are still trapping her in different ways, but she recognizes it and sometimes thanks them for doing it in a way that's that's less problematic than somebody else did it. It's just, and, it's so smart. And not only trying to trap her, but especially in the case of Mark Ruffalo, who's just great. and Hilarious. I, I expect a, a nomination for him as well, and well-deserved. And it's sort of a role that you don't really see him in. No. Uh, he's this, this hilarious cad who thinks he's, he, he's so happy to teach... Bella about a lot of things, specifically sex mm-hmm. that they call that she calls furious jumping, which is very <laughs> funny. But then when she moves past him without any mercy, he's just reduced to a pile of mush. Yeah, it's and- it's it's a really great image of how men uh, might may, might be particularly attracted to a woman with a woman's body and a child's brain, yeah. and how that is sort of exactly what he wants, but is the brain catches up and surpasses he hates it he's very unhappy very threatened very threatened and that's just one of the ways that it attacks different portions of her her growth and her journey to herself as she just moves on unapologetically from one thing to another and i'm just you know okay i'm experiencing i'm I'm growing i'm I'm growing so good and you think somebody's using me well maybe i'm using them and, and like you just said, okay, thank you for that. And yeah. I'm moving on. Right. Yeah, it's it's just fascinating. And every member of the ensemble, and it's it's not just a Mark Ruffalo. You've got uh, Remy Youssef. He's so good. Yeah, Christopher Abbott shows up oh, in sort yeah. of a, a different role for him as well. Um, and it's just a it's a fantastic ensemble and a fantastic. You mentioned the uh, the cinematography, the production design. Oh my God, it's gorgeous. I mean, so it's, gorgeous. it's reminiscent of the favorite. Uh, you see a lot of that fisheye mm-hmm. lens as well, but still, it's a world. It's it's such a rich world on screen that, again, as you said in your uh, written review, is hard to pin down. It is really it, is. Is it Victorian England or is it Blade Runner twenty forty nine? Exactly. Is what you said, mm-hmm. and, and that was that's very apt because you're just not sure, and that fits the film perfectly. Oh, we don't really want to be sure. No. Yeah. It, it. Yeah. It really. It really is. It's gorgeous, just beyond measure. And and yeah, the the performances, the supporting performances. I think Willem Dafoe has a good shot at a nomination as well. It's an odd version of of Dr. Frankenstein. It is. It is. Um, and and early on, <clears throat> they make a point as to sort of why, you know, because it's a, it's a truth. If somebody, if the mad scientist was able to create another human, to be honest, what a, a dude would create is not another man. They wouldn't create it because that would be too challenging because you you would want that person to be superior to all other people, but not you. So that's why they would they would make a woman because as a man, they would never think of the woman as superior to them in the first place. So they could just be proud of their work. Yeah. Also, they could have sex with it. Right. So that's why that's what they would Bingo. do. And, they, and then the, this movie... Uh, addresses that in the best way and in the weirdest way and mm-hmm. then in a way that then you sort of dig back into what is wrong with Godwin Baxter in the first place. It's just fascinating. Yeah, and then longtime Yorgos fans, you you'll you'll see and feel some themes that are similar to specifically Dogtooth, but different because in Dogtooth it was a it was a forced isolation that kept these young people away from growing away from the outside world. Here. She gets the benefit of, you know, once she gets her legs about her, she's not helpless, physically helpless like a baby. Well, she can manage by herself, 
but yet her 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 isolation or her her naivete about the world is not because of isolation. It's just because of an experience. Mm-hmm. So she's ready to experience. Yeah, and it's it's a totally different different take on on that sort of learning about the world and navigating it for yourself when you when you don't know uh, when you haven't come in contact with other people and what they expect from you mm-hmm. uh, it's fa- it's just fascinating it is. and funny we really i don't think we've made the point enough it's that hilarious it's, funny. Yeah. it's so funny it really it, is yeah. funny especially if you love dark you know satirical type humor he's so good at it maybe the best one of yeah, yeah one of the best uh, satirists i think right now uh, working and it's another great one for uh, Yorgos Lanthimos and cast called Poor Things in theaters now. Also on the big screen this holiday weekend, Aquaman balances his duties as king and as a member of the Justice League, all while planning a wedding. Black Manta is on the hunt for Atlantean tech to help rebuild his armor. Orm plots to escape his Atlantean prison. Okay, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. I'm going to kill Aquaman. Even if I have to make a deal with the devil to do it. Free me from my prison and all my power will be yours. The key to this prison is the royal bloodline itself. He needs us. We're the end of the bloodline. No, we're not. You must be stopped. I'm coming for you. We'll destroy everything he holds dear. You want blood? Come get it! I am curious about that synopsis because there's no wedding being planned, and I wonder if that all got cut out because of the hubbub about having Amber Heard in this movie. That's one of the reasons I like to keep reading these synopses, because how often they just conflict with what we just saw. I know. It's a funny thing. <laughs> That's a good point, But I, I bet that is. I bet that there was more to the Amber Heard storyline than what we see in the film, mm-hmm. uh, because, and you know, and, and I, uh, you know, the idea of, of firing her because of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial that really would have been horrifying like there's no way she deserves that still she's quite terrible she's she doesn't right. really have any talent a wh- a, a, completely, completely separate completely separate separate right. from the uh, the the trial yeah. she doesn't have any talent um and she certainly doesn't in this film so anyway her her role is pretty limited um and the the film is is mainly sort of a Buddy comedy, right, mm-hmm. uh, uh, between the two brothers. Sort of your Thor and Loki, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, because, because Thor has to go bust... Not, not Thor. Excuse me, right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Aquaman has to go bust his brother, who was his nemesis in the first movie. He has mm-hmm. to go bust him out of prison so Orm. he can help him. King Orm, Patrick King, Wilson. Yeah, yeah, to help him take down Mantis, who now is sort of possessed Manta. by... Wow. Manta. I got everything wrong. <laughs> He's now sort of possessed by the spirit of this other demon king who's trident. He's carrying around blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, what James Wan does with this one is sort of, I think, <clears throat> throw up on the screen uh, a mishmash of all of the movies that he likes. Right. This is my guess. So yeah, because- you'll notice a lot of other influences here. A lot, uh, especially if you're a superhero fan. I mean, just you already mentioned one Loki, right? And then, of course, you've got the the whole Black Panther angle of it. Yes, because what 
they need to do, Aquaman believes, is to come out to the land world so mm-hmm. that they can all work together so that Atlantis can can share its tech and and its know-how and yeah, they can all work together to save familiar. the world. That's right. very familiar. Very. And then, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, in, in many ways, also just the execution of it really is. But also, oh my God, there's this whole section that is directly lifted from the Star Wars cantina and clearly on purpose because the musicians even look like the musicians and the a lot of this has been borrowed from other places, and that's not necessarily bad. It's and it's you know it's not pretending to be deep and you know uh, super thoughtful. It's just it's a comedy more or less yeah. that's riding on the charisma of Jason Momoa and sort of the the chemistry between him and 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 uh, his brother. Um, Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson, who's good. They're both good. They're both fine. And Momoa also gets a writing credit along with uh, James Wan. And you've also got some, in, in the rest of the cast, of course, you've got Nicole Kidman as uh, as his mother. And Which then is just sad. Black Manta is uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II that we remember from Candyman, of right, course. Right, yeah. So good. Even P. Lou Asbeck, a favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. P. Lou is in here. And the voice of Martin Short, which is always a good yes, thing. Yes, and then uh, and also Randall Park, who plays right. the scientist- who, you know, a bit tardy, you know, develops a a conscience and a backbone. It's just a mishmash. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing. It's not good by any stretch. I mean, honestly, it's not. But it's not god-awful. It's not, you know, it's not one of the worst of the superhero movies that I've seen. And it's not... over long. It's just a little bit over two hours, right. and that's all the way to the end stinger, which you're not going to get a, a cameo from another. It's just for fun. Really, yeah, the end stinger is just for fun. So, And the effects are, you know, they're not as bad as they were the first time around, but I honestly, it's because less of it is underwater. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of it is uh, on land and in caves, and, and actually, there's a whole section of it that is inexplicably not underwater. I don't understand why the Lost Kingdom itself is not underwater, but maybe because the effects are so hard. That's probably it. Because the, you know, the underwater fight sequences do still look just as dumb, and, like, the your hair, like, waving in the water still looks just as fake. Yeah. And there is, uh, there is an action sequence with Nicole Kidman, sort of riding on the back of these uh, underwater vessels, and it's just embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for Oscar winner <laughs> and just absolute master thespian Nicole Kidman to be in this movie. I gotta so be basically, with you. if you know, it's just if you're a fan, if you like the first one, um, and, and, and really you could probably tell, because this is one that I knew from really watching the trailer. I thought, oh, man, that looks that just doesn't look good at all. <laughs> And you can't always tell from the trailer, no. but it's like, wow. Well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, when they started making this, they were billing it. They were saying James Wan is making a horror film. Because, you know, longtime James Wan fans, that's how we knew him. That's right. how we yeah. know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that's, of course, that's, you know, that's uh, a particular favorite of ours. Yeah, and I then, was... of course, Marvel did yeah. with... Uh, with um, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange, Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, Sam Raimi. You're going to bring in Sam Raimi, and he's going to make a scary movie, and that's yeah. awesome. So I was hoping for something closer to... And, you know, there are a couple of sequences that you could call, but, but on the no, whole... No, not a horror movie, no. And those effects don't look that great either. I mean, they're they're exclusively digital effects horror creatures, and they're right. uh, whatever. So, yeah. Um, not a big recommendation for Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom in theaters now. Let's stay in theaters for a romantic comedy. After an amazing first date, B and Ben's fiery attraction turns ice cold until they find themselves unexpectedly reunited at a destination wedding in Australia. So they do what any two mature adults would do, pretend to be a couple. It's anyone but you. 
That's the jerk Kobe got with when she was on her break from Jonathan. I could never be with someone like him. This girl's a disaster. They're gonna ruin our wedding. Sorry. How's it going, stranger? What's going on over there? They dated, she crushed his heart. That man does not have a heart. No way. Honey, look who's here! Who is it? My ex, Jonathan. My parents have been trying to get us back together. He's like a son to us. Maybe we should just tell everyone we're together. What? It would solve that problem for me, and you clearly want Margaret. She's CJ with me. She wants what she can't have. There's no way we can convince anyone we actually like each other. You know, I still think about that night we spent together. Shut up. No, I'm serious. No matter how it ended, he's still pretty amazing. Convincing enough? Well, he's two kind of stars on the rise. You can see how, like, if somebody was going to sort of a recipe for a, 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 a popular movie, they're going to go, this guy and her, let's make them wear as few clothes as possible. Exactly, because you've got <laughs> these two people whose physiques look like they were created in a lab. <laughs> And let's get them somewhere where they can wear, yeah, very little clothing um, and try to show as much skin as possible. Although, for an R-rated comedy, I guess maybe I would expect it a little more mm-hmm. skin because yeah. they could have easily made this a PG-13. And they probably Take should out, have. And probably should have, but it's, it is still is R. And I didn't realize, and it actually benefited the movie for me, once I realized into it, that it's basically a rewriting of Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. Right. They're not promoting that in any way in the marketing or in the that I can find. But if you look at the character names, they're either exactly the same or very similar. Right. And the setup is the same. And it it's it's ends up in one of these, just like in Much Ado About Nothing, you've got people trying to, you know, fool other people. Will We'll push them to get together, but then they know, they overhear you talking, they know what you're doing, so they're putting on a show for you. All these people overhearing everybody else, you know, you know, like Much Ado About Nothing. Or Three's Company. Or Three's Company. (laughs) But in that classic Shakespeare sort of of comedy Mm -hmm. way, Mm -hmm. and once I realized that's that's what they were doing, it made it go down easier for me. I did not laugh hardly at all. No. But we're we're admittedly pretty tough on romantic comedies. We are. Although we we did, you remember they they did um, Much Ado About Nothing about 10 years ago Mm -hmm. or so, and it was really good. Joss Whedon did Mm -hmm. it. Really good. It was. This is not that good. Oh no! But um, it's you know it's it's likable enough, and these these um, the chemistry here, especially maybe if you believe what was going on off screen with them, I don't know the chemistry. Glenn Powell and Sidney Sweeney is very good. Oh, did they get together off screen? Th- because what know. else can you do if you're the two most attractive right. people on if earth? You're, you're that like, good I think God just means that we're supposed to be together. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but you've also got uh, in the uh, in the uh, supporting. Uh, cast you've got Dermot Mel Rooney and Rachel Griffiths and Brian Brown because it is in Australia got to <laughs> have those two in there and that's the other thing a destination wedding in Australia yeah, so that's they a lot of money fly everybody over there and but it's a chance to have everybody yeah in in very little clothing and it's it's a lot of antics a lot of hijinks but it is there's a charm about it and if you like romantic comedies which I was going to I think I was just saying we we have a high bar for that I mean we're like Okay, the big sick, um, <laughs> Bull Durham, right. and then everybody else. <laughs> That's a high bar. Yeah. But once you realize what they're doing, uh, and it's the co-writer and director is well Will Gluck, uh, that they're doing a riff on this uh, Much Ado About Nothing, and 
to be fair, at the end, they clearly they point that out. Mm-hmm. They make it clear that, mm-hmm. yes, we, this is what we're doing. If you haven't caught on by now, they make it clear. So I give them points for that. So it's pleasing enough. If you like romantic comedies and like to look at impossibly good-looking people in <laughs> very little clothing, uh, then, yeah, you'll like this. And it's uh, anyone but you in theaters now. Let's stay in theaters for the true story of the inseparable Von Erich brothers who made history in the intensely competitive world of professional wrestling in the early 1980s. It's the Iron Claw. So what do you think? Like, we're alive. I love your family, Kevin. Don't we, Uncle? Yes, sir. Oh, man, that makes me so happy. I talked to you about something, Mom. Dad's too tough on us. You gotta say something. Baby, that's what your brothers are for. You feel that? Ah. You feel that? Ah. That's pressure. You're pushing too hard. I'm fine, Kev. Seriously, I'm just sick. I need to think about my family. Your job is to wrestle. Live up to that deal or we are through. I told you to look out for him! I just love being out there with you guys. It's the only thing that matters to me. The Bonner will forever be the greatest family in the history of wrestling! Sean Durkin. Sean Durkin, writer, director. director. this one, and mm-hmm. he did Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene a few years back, which is just a Love favorite. It. Such a good movie. And also a couple of years ago, did The Nest. Mm-hmm. Also Coon. very good, yeah. So this one is a true biography true based on a true story, and we're finding out and talking to people here. I guess we're the only ones that didn't know these people. <laughs> we're not big wrestling followers. Not at all. But, I mean, <laughs> the 80s, you know, you were, of course, you were even more so paying attention to pop culture and things like that. But And I was a... I followed wrestling, not follow. I, I watched wrestling in the 70s when I was a little kid, and then I don't care for it, so I just moved on. And the I next, did not ever one time. The next thing I heard about wrestling was the whole Cindy Lauper thing, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess they weren't a part of. But anyway, the point is, if you know wrestling, and a lot of people do, then you know this family. We did not. Uh, and the fact that they had what could have been called a curse, or they mm-hmm. talked about having a curse and all these terrible, heartbreaking things that that uh, befell them as the brothers were under the thumb of their domineering father, who was also an ex-wrestler, and then having having these heartbreaking things happen. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's very sad, but it's very well done and features some great performances led by, first and foremost, Zac Efron, who yeah. I think could get some award consideration here. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. I mean, he's the... You know, he's the heart of the film. He's sort of our eyes through what's going on. And it's a, it's a really lovely, tender performance. It really is. And another, he's the dad, uh, the uh, Fritz von Erich, played by Holt McElhaney, who, if you don't know his name, you know his face. He's, he's really he's good. Really he's good. really, really good. really, really good. you've seen him in a bunch of movies, but he is really, really good. And you just, at times, you're sort of, sympathize with him and other times you just hate him because the truth is the family did not have a curse except for him right every single tragedy can be linked back to just him but of course he views it as him being the victim yep yeah, yeah. and it, and you're right i mean it's it's almost shocking that you're even capable of sympathizing with this character it's just a really good performance in a role that demanded a lot yeah and and all the acting is good i mean the rest of the uh, brothers harris dickinson 
plays uh, David, and then Jeremy Allen White, who a lot of people know from that show, The Bear, mm-hmm. I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's Carrie. Very, very good. Uh, Mike Von Erich is uh, played by Stanley Simon. So yeah, all and Lily James and oh Maura yeah, Tierney. Lily James is uh, Kevin's uh, wife, Zac Efron's wife. Yeah, Maura Tierney is is the mother, Dora. So you've got a great ensemble, and it's just and it's it's well written. And even if you don't like wrestling, we don't, we don't. No, it's but fascinating. It, it pulls you in. Yeah. It could be it could really be any other job or mm-hmm. any other sport. You mm-hmm. know, it could be a baseball or whatever. The point is the drama that's going on. With this family, and especially, as you say, our eyes into it, mm-hmm. Kevin Von Erich, mm-hmm. played by Zach Efron, and what, you know, he loves his brothers so much, he just wants to be with his brothers and his family, and he just has to endure so much, they all do, at the hands of his father, and he just he just keeps plowing ahead until it, it reaches, you know, the breaking point. Yeah, it's um, it's it's such a lovely a heartbreaking performance and a great film. And if you are a wrestling fan, I feel like you need to see this because, you know, Ric Flair shows up. I mean, there are, there are some touchstones, wrestling touchstones, oh, yeah. that that if you're a fan are going to mean more to you than they did to us. Yeah, and especially if you know of this family. Now, as, as again, like this morning when we were on the TV gig and the host all oh, knew all about it, couldn't yeah, wait. Yeah, we didn't know. Well, then, yeah, you definitely want to, especially when it's in the hands of a, a filmmaker as as skilled as Sean Durkin. Here's another one, much like we were talking about Yorgos Lanthimos. I mean, I, I'm interested in whatever he's doing. Yes. And when I heard this was the project, I'm like, hmm, a wrestling. But apparently he's a longtime wrestling fan yeah. and was fascinated by this story anyway. So, and he just does it, does it really does it justice and, and again the performance is great and we'll we'll see if uh if Zach Efron who he's another one I mean he's incredibly we talk about you know fit body he is so pumped up in this movie yeah. so much so that it's a little uncomfortable it is a little but uncomfortable. I think that that works with the character it does because they do show the character shooting you know shooting series into his like so you know he apparently took it up upon himself to to be very believable mm-hmm. and you know and it's a funny thing because he and also the bear Jeremy White. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not tall. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> but, That's the funny but the thing. Von Erich's sons, they're very tall. At one point, they yeah. list they list uh, Kevin, uh, Zac Efron's character, they list his, like on a TV show, yeah. as being six foot two. Uh no, <laughs> but, but that's all right. You don't let that take you out. <laughs> no, of it too you don't. Much. Yeah. You don't. Not at all. No, he's great in the movie, and uh, it's really, really well done and a great drama. And it is in the theaters now called The Iron Claw. Let's stay in theaters for an animated family adventure. A family of ducks try to convince their overprotective father to go on the vacation of a lifetime. It's called Migration. What is that? Duck on a rose. What's duck on a rose? It's you with LaRange on top. There's a whole world we've been missing out on. And we... When danger strikes, you do not run from it. Reload! We're going to finish this crazy, wonderful adventure. You're so adorable. Maybe I'll eat you. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> Where am I? Huh? Go, go, go!
So this has got a stacked vocal cast. Yes. I was excited about that. Illumination, so the you know the Despicable Me mm-hmm. group mm-hmm. put this one out, although it doesn't include any of the little yellow guys that people like so much. Um, but it was <laughs> to be to be honest, a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, uh, Rachel Willis reviewed this for us at MadWolf.com, and uh, yeah, you're you're talking about the cast. You've got well Elizabeth Banks, Kumail Ninjani, Danny DeVito, Aquafina, uh, Carol Kane, Keegan Michael Key, uh, Isabella Merced, on and on and on. You've got a lot of great voices. But yeah, unfortunately, Rachel just thought it, it sort of, sort of well, for a title of migration, it sort of wandered and never really hit the mark. Yeah, that it, it does kind of lie there a little bit. It's a story, you know, Camille Nanjani doesn't want to leave the pond and uh, everybody else kind of does. They want to get out and see the world. And he's a little paranoid. And, and it's the uncle, played by Danny DeVito, that kind of gives everybody the kick in the pants to decide to migrate south. Hijinks ensue. But it, you know, it just. It just doesn't really go anywhere, and she felt like the one of the big issues. And I, I'll give her this: in a in an animated film, some of the best animated films live and die on a really good villain. They do, and this one just doesn't have that. They uh, do. It just there's just not too. It's, it's a chef that likes to cook ducks, but on the whole, it's just pretty middling. Yeah, the uh, co-writer and direct, co-director Benjamin Renner, and then the other co-writer Mike White. Mike White from, from School of Rock and. Um, White Lotus? White Lotus, yeah. Yeah, so this is a bit of a disappointment considering the talent involved. It's one that is, you know, it's not terrible, but it's certainly not. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. And we hoped for more. Yeah, hoped for more. But if it's, you know, you got a lot of kids in the house and you want to go out (laughs) and maybe they can go see this while you see something else, might fit the bill. But that is in theaters now called Migration. Let's go to Netflix for one that's streaming right now. When a peaceful settlement on the edge of a distant moon finds itself threatened by the armies of a tyrannical ruling force, a mysterious stranger living among its villagers becomes their best hope for survival. This is Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire. I am a child of war. I find warriors to fight with us. We might stand a chance. We're searching for soldiers for a fight against the mother world. I could help you. A small fee, obviously. I'm here to make you an offer. To give you a chance at redemption. We are beyond redemption. What about revenge? found her. The most wanted fugitive in the known universe. It's a new age for the universe. Well, this is one that uh, slipped through the cracks. We didn't see this one, but our schlocketeer Daniel Baldwin did see it. So we want to take, uh, we want to get your take on Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire. All right, well, first off, if you're not a fan of Zack Schneider movies, you're not going to like this one because <laughs> it contains every last little tick and idiosyncrasy that the man has as a filmmaker. Okay. Um, and he's a, co- yeah, he's a co-writer as well. Yes. And a little bit of background on this. Back when Disney was actively making, you know, not just their trilogy with Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley, but they were doing single Star Wars movies as well, um, Snyder went in and pitched one that was basically seven samurai in outer space in Star Wars. Uh, they did not take the pitch, but he decided to rework it into an original film, 
and that original film became two original films, and that's what Rebel Moon basically is. So, a bit of Kurosawa in outer space. Not the first time that's been done. Uh, Roger Corman produced one back in the day called Battle Beyond the Stars, which is basically a similar plot. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know whether Snyder has seen that movie or not, but um, as far as uh, Star Wars knockoffs go, this actually is very much in vain with the ones we saw a lot of in the early 80s. Um, I likened it online to uh, an Albert Pune uh, big-budget remake of Star Crash. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that one, but where you get David Hasselhoff instead of uh, Harrison Ford. (laughs) (laughs) But it's basically a a hodgepodge of uh, space opera influences. You know, you got plenty of Star Wars in here. There's plenty of Star Trek, some Firefly, Jupiter Ascending, a little bit of Chronicles of Riddick, uh, David Lynch's Dune. It's basically a giant uh, stew of influences wears them very, very, very on their sleeve. Uh, mm-hmm. They're pretty obvious. This is the deepest movie in the world, and uh, it's very uh, very unsubtle. Um, a good example would be uh, one of the heroes they pick up, because they do pick up about seven heroes. One of them is Jaiman Hunsao, and they find him as a uh, former general on a gladiator world. So, oh, you know, okay. That that level of subtlety. So if <laughs> if you're down for a big, silly space action movie that's kind of as dumb as a bag of hammers but knows it, <laughs> then you're going to enjoy the movie. If that is not your bag, if you want something more cerebral, then I suggest maybe checking out the creator over on Hulu. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire, and that's streaming now on Netflix. So now we'll move on to the three big ones opening in theaters Christmas Day. And we'll start off with a woman facing many hardships in her life, but ultimately finding extraordinary strength and hope in the unbreakable bonds of sisterhood. It's the color purple. Today, our teacher taught us about a place called Africa. She say our mamas come from Queens over there. That means that we, royalty, even if we have to part. You and me, us Us have one heart. Get off my land! You harass you every day! Nothing but death can keep me from it! Oh, Miss Seelis! You must ain't got no kinfolk around these parts. All I had was my sister. (laughs) She was the only one ever loved me. Dear Seely, we are more than just kings and queens. We are at the center of the universe. Oh, yes, I well, this, as you might guess, is based on the Broadway musical version of The Color Purple. That was, of course, inspired by Alice Walker's novel. And then most everybody remembers the uh, story beats in the 1985 Steven Spielberg version. And he and Oprah are executive producers here. Okay. And, you know, I've talked to some people about maybe wanting to go see this, but they they just remember it being so tough to watch and so heartbreaking Mm -hmm. with all the suffering. You know, and I was just telling somebody the other day, you know what? I get it, but this is joyous. The, the treatment is so joyous and in the end so uplifting. So don't let that dissuade you from checking it out because, well, first of all, it's a musical. So you've got a number of 
zesty, mm-hmm. colorful numbers to bring you up. There are a couple of, you know, very serious numbers too, but you've got the benefit of the music and some great cinematography and some great landscapes. But the the entire treatment of the story by a director, the director is Blitz Bazawale, um, and the uh, writers are Marcus Gardley, Marsha Norman, and of course, Alice Walker. But the entire treatment of it just it has more joy in it, more exhilaration. It it's, doesn't the 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 dwell. Pa- it doesn't dwell the the story of Celie and what she goes through on her way to finally finding her her family again and her dignity is not based in pain at all. That's not the basis of the movie. It's it's the it's the joy. It's the the uh, inspirational journey more than anything else. And you really feel it. So I'm not saying you won't cry at the end. You probably will. But it'll be tears of joy right. for, for the end. Because it's a film that if you're going to separate it into three three acts, think of it in three acts. And it's a, it's a long movie. It's about two hours and 20 minutes. But in the first two acts, you've, get, you've got all the... A lot of the uh, satellite characters. And they're good characters, of oh, course. Oh, absolutely. It's not, you've got young Seeley and and young Nettie and um in the in the beginning as their kids Nettie is played by Halle Bailey from the little, little mermaid. mermaid yeah and then young Celia is Felicia Pearl Mapasi so then they get as you remember they they get separated mm-hmm. once um Celie marries Mr and Nettie comes to live and then gets banished away by Mr and they don't see each other again for for many many years, and Celie goes through all you know these this abuse at the hands of Mister, and then these other characters come in and out of her life, and you've got uh, Harpo. Harpo's played by Corey Hawkins, and Harpo is of course Mister's son, and he builds that speakeasy, that mm-hmm. uh, juke joint. Mm-hmm. That Shug Avery comes yeah. to sing, the famous blues singer Shug Avery. Taraji P, one of Taraji your all-time P, favorites. P, and she owns it. She's fantastic. And then you've got um, Sophia, which is Harpo's wife, and she's played by Danielle Brooks, who I didn't know from um, Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. And she also played the role, I guess, in the 2015 Broadway revival. Mm-hmm. So she's great as Sophia. And then the adult Seeley is Fantasia Barino, who was in... Also played this role on Broadway, and a lot of people can go way back with her in American Idol. And she is just fantastic. I, I expect some some Oscar consideration for her as well because, again, the first two acts, you kind of you, you have all these other stories coming in, crisscrossing and all these characters. And then when we get to the third act, and she, as both a character and a performer— Gets her flowers, as they say today. It's just glorious. Yeah. It's just, she, she's she got a show-stopping number called I'm Here as uh, Celie opens up her own uh, shop, Miss Celie's Fancy Pants. <laughs> she sells these pants. And then, of course, things happen to reunite her with her family. And it's just, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's shot so well. The, the, number, the uh, direction of the musical numbers is so right on and everything about it just works to be a just a joyous experience again i want to keep coming to that because of the at least the people that i've talked to who think of it as oh man it, it's it's a it's a downer yeah it's a bring down yeah uh, and you're thinking of maybe the original no oh, it's for not sure. it is not trust me it's not it's uplifting it's exhilarating and the whole movie even when it's it's being sad and very heartbreaking there's there's still a joy about it a joy in in family a joy in heritage and a joy of just coming into your own finally no matter no matter how how long it takes and i thought it was just great and uh, highly recommended and that is the musical version out coming out on christmas day uh in theaters everywhere of the color purple
Also out on Christmas Day, the latest from Michael Mann, set in the summer of 1957 with Enzo Ferrari's auto empire in crisis. The ex-racer turned entrepreneur pushes himself and his drivers to the edge as they launch into the Mille Miglia, a treacherous 1,000-mile race across Italy. It's just called Ferrari. All of us are racers. It's our deadly passion. Our terrible joy. No wonder we need to be back. How can I stay with? If Anthony is looking for a scapegoat, then here I am. You were supposed to save him. You promised me he wouldn't die. The father deluded himself. Two objects cannot occupy the same point in space at the same moment in time. When so? Go beat the hell out of them. The first thing that I noticed, actually, not when I watched the movie, but when I hit the IMDb page to make sure I was spelling everybody's names correctly, <laughs> was that both writers have been dead for many years. That's a fascinating wrinkle in this. Yeah, the writers are Troy Kennedy Martin and Brock Yates. And yeah, you look at, especially with, I looked up Brock Yates, goes back to movies like Cannonball Run. Right, yeah. Yeah, that goes back and, a ways. And, and Martin wrote the original Italian job. Yeah. They definitely write car movies. Car movies, they, Or yeah. I should say wrote car movies, because I think one died in 2005 and the other died in 2017, because Michael Mann has been sitting on this script for 30 years. He's been trying to get it made for 30 years. Man. Uh, and, you know, he does a lot quite right with this movie. It doesn't um, it doesn't ever feel cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. Except, and I was worried about it because one of the very early lines, uh, uh, Enzo Ferrari's mother is talking to a servant about uh, one of her other children who's passed away. And she says to the servant, the wrong kid died. And I thought right then, I got to stop watching. This is right. going to be the worst cliche, because that is, as Walk Hard pointed out to us, the most cliche possible thing to say in a movie. Did you not see Walk Hard? Come on. Oh, man. But, but the truth is, that's the re- end. That's recovers, the last, thankfully the recovers last from cliche in the movie. And one of the things I like about this film is that there's a lot going on at once. You know, uh, he's facing he's facing disaster with his company, with his family on the racetrack or the race course, I should say. But um, it never and it, it never feels really penned into a, a simple structure. And of course, at the top, we've got Adam Driver as Enzo Ferrari and Penelope Cruz and Shailene Woodley. So that's, that's right. some serious acting talent. It absolutely is. And and uh, Adam Driver, I love Adam Driver. His, I would say that his accent is a little spotty. I say Shailene Woodley's accent is spottier still. <laughs> and I would say that uh, I would say that Penelope Cruz's accent is Spanish. But the thing <laughs> about that, it's kind of hard for her to get around. Yeah, yeah. Um, she, I would not be surprised to see her nominated for an Oscar. Uh, what she does with this character that could it of his wife. And business partner, um, uh, Shailene Woodley plays his mistress, with right. whom he has a, a young son and who he really spends most of his time. Uh, and and so it would be very easy for Penelope Cruz's character to be like the volatile, one-dimensional, you know, angry Italian woman or villain. And because she does do some weird things, but oh, uh, Cruz just 
Oh, she's she, so good. They're- she dials it down when you expect it to be explosive. She explodes out of nowhere when you don't see it coming. Mm-hmm. It's such a... And she refuses to make this woman a cartoon or a villain. It's such a great performance. And Driver is really good, too. Of course he is. He yeah, always is. Yeah, as he is. usually is, yeah. And, and you know, it's like the specter of death is, is always sort of haunting each of the three storylines, it's everywhere in this movie, mm-hmm. and it makes it like a tight coil experience, the whole thing. And But it it, it, it never feels penned in by structure, but at the same time, it delivers a structured film. It's, um, you know, and it's, I think, my, longtime Michael Mann fans might be slightly put off by kind of the, it's not super slick. Um, it's a little bit grittier than his films tend to be, which was super fine with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it doesn't feel it not, never not feels so Miami Vice. No, it right. never feels superficial yeah. uh, to me. Um, and uh, the the race action is very much sort of heart in your throat. Yeah, I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, and this is it's not too long. It's just two hours. Yeah, just two hours. But uh, yeah, solid solid acting at the top, and that always helps. Uh, and especially if you're interested. In this man and his legacy, mm-hmm. or a car person, mm-hmm. uh, Ferrari is out in theaters on Christmas Day. A good one. And one more out on Christmas Day. A 1930s set story centered on the University of Washington's rowing team from their Depression-era beginnings to winning gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Later, latest from director George Clooney, The Boys in the Boat. Eight-man crew is the most difficult team sport in the world. The average human body is just not meant for such things. Most of you will not be chosen. Beautiful speech, coach. You're announcing the team today. Are you going to make it? We rode out of need. Come on, boys. The need to stay in school. The need to eat, to sleep. We got to keep these right as long as we stay on the team. I got nine seconds under the course record. Olympic year this year. Olympic year? I didn't realize. That bunch of kids load like no one else that's ever come through here. Everybody else tires and just gets stronger. We have a boat that I believe could qualify for an Olympic spot. Hope you know what you're doing. For all the people who never believed in you, eyes one, eyes one. This one pretty disappointing. Um, if you saw the Tender Bar, which was the last George Clooney directed film. Uh, you may remember that one as we do, as a very generic and obvious film that was really saved by a great performance, supporting performance by Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you're wondering what was so fascinating about the source book that Clooney and company thought it should be a movie. The same here, and I haven't read this book, maybe it's great, but you come away from the movie going, eh? Yeah, it's, it's it's again so obvious. So it's just every possible sports movie cliche. Oh just my. every single one just rolled out one after another with some pretty cinematography, but as you said when we were watching it, even that he needed to dwell a little longer. He needed to hold those pretty shots a beat longer because what he was getting back to was just not very convincing acting and not very solid writing. No, not at all. And the Mark L. Smith adapts the book. And if you remember going back, I mean, George Clooney was a got a very well deserved Oscar nomination for his directing for Good Night and Good Luck. Yeah. Great film. It was a great he film. also got an Oscar nomination for writing, for writing the Ides of March. Now, since he ha- it just seems to me, since he has stopped co-writing his projects, his directing projects, they have gone downhill. Could be. 
Um, I've just just noticed that mm-hmm. because he didn't have a hand in writing, at least credited hand in writing, the tender bar. Not this one, this one either. And yeah, the writing is just it's just so forced and so obvious. And the, it's like, do you are you expecting us to find this so inspirational because you haven't given us given us anything to feel to make it inspirational? Like you said about the cliches, it's it's based around basically our eyes into the rowing team, a character named Joe, played by Callum Turner. Pretty lifeless uh, performance. It's really it, the, lifeless is a great word for it. Yeah, he he tries out for the team because he's out of money. They're going to kick him out of school because he doesn't have tuition. He doesn't have shoes without any holes in him, and basically, he doesn't have a roof over his head. Because it's the depression. It's the depression. Yeah, uh, but he hears that if if you make the rowing team, you get a job and a place to stay. So he does that, and he he endures the, the boot camp uh, by the coach played by Joel Edgerton, makes the team. And then the victories start coming all the way to the Olympics, where the team, of course, goes to Germany and hopes to take down uh, Hitler's uh, prized athletes. But as it goes along, all these lessons are just so telegraphed, and they're just they're moved. But like like case in point, uh, Joe, the main character, he has we were told he has a very volatile relationship with his father, who walked out years ago and is alcoholic. And then we get a reunion with them that is supposed to be, I think they're trying to emulate the the emotion of Hoosiers with the Dennis Hopper character. And it just falls so flat because they expect us to feel something. They haven't given us any character development to feel. And the whole thing is over in like two minutes. You're like, oh. Well, and, you know, the the wooden performance from the lead doesn't help anything. It doesn't. It doesn't. And again, like you say, some of the photography, some of the shot making in the water, around the boats, very nice. But but again, even with a, a two-hour running time, you think, boy, can you hold that a couple more seconds just to let us drink it in before, before you move on? And the, and the cliches just keep piling well, up. I remember, I mean, even as we were sitting there, and they, they showed the man who polishes the boats, you know, an older man named George. And the first time they really show him, you said to me, do you think wise old George is going to have some pearls of wisdom for them? And that's every time they showed him, every time. he was just going to slyly parable something yeah. that was going to really sh- help Joe or the coach figure out and what they needed no, to be doing. And there's no tension. No. I mean, even there are if, no stakes. There, even if you know how this comes out, we've seen, bring up Ben Affleck again. Right. People take stories where we know what happens and make it tense. Yep. There's no tension no. here. There's no stakes. No. And then they try to throw in one of the team members has some mysterious illness and you think, oh, this is going to lead to something. It doesn't. No. Um, no. No. It's just, it's very, very disappointing. And I really felt for Joel Edgerton because uh, yeah. it's a he's, a, he's a good actor and it was he such, is. such just a cliched, stoic coach character yeah. and oh my god the wife oh it was i mean it was just every possible sports movie cliche yeah it's um, maybe the book is great but if so we didn't get that on the screen it's just another one like the tender bar that made me think why did you feel this book had to be made into a movie so badly because this one this unfortunately is the the disappointing one of the bunch but it is out uh, also on christmas day called the boys in the boat let's all go to the lobby Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Checking back into the tastefully decorated lobby where uh, <laughs> Santa Schlocketeer is waiting. Daniel Baldwin with the latest news. What are you hearing? Well, if you missed John Woo's Silent Night or the new Hunger Games movie in theaters, both are now available on premium VOD. Wow, that was quick. Damn. Hunger Games, yeah. they, they, they made a lot of money, didn't they? Yeah, it legged out better than I think most people thought it would. I mean, granted, it it's a, it was a good bit cheaper than most of the other blockbusters we've had of late, mm. but 
I think it I think it's managed to triple its budget worldwide, which okay. is kind of a bit of a surprise. Yeah. And um, the uh, recent highly acclaimed Nick Cage movie Dream Scenario will be hitting premium VOD on well today. Today, <laughs> okay, it's a funny yeah. one. It is a good one. And Alexander Payne's The Holdovers will be available to stream on Peacock starting December 29th. So For everybody to watch A Christmas one. with Your Family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you have a Regal Theater in your area, they already have set their first two Mystery Movie Mondays for next year. The first one will be on Monday, January 1st at 7 p.m., and that one will be R-rated. And the second will follow a week later on January 8th. That one's PG-13, so... You don't know what you're seeing until you're in the theater, but tickets are only five bucks and concessions are discounted. So yeah, roll the dice. Not a, yeah, roll the dice exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, William Oldroyd's Eileen will premiere on premium VOD on January second. Cool. And then Frontiers and Cold Skin director uh, Javier Jim's latest violent opus, the action movie Mayhem, will hit VOD and limited theatrical release hmm. on January fifth. So some French extremity in your action there. Yeah. Always up for that. Uh, January 5th is also the VOD release date for Rennie Harlan's latest action flick, The Bricklayer, which stars kind of a stacked cast of Aaron Eckhart, Nina Dobrev, Clifton Collins Jr., and Tim Blake Nelson. Don't always get that good of a cast on a DTV release. So. Yeah, no. true. Fingers crossed. January 9th, VOD release has been set for the Scott Atkins action movie, One More Shot, which is a sequel to 2021's One Shot. And Hulu's comedic thriller Self-Reliance premieres on January 12th. That stars Jake Johnson, Anna Kendrick, Natalie Morales, and Christopher Lloyd. Ooh. Yeah, just saw, I just saw the trailer for that. It looks interesting. Hmm. And uh, switching gears a little bit, Amazon Prime has a January 26th premiere for its upcoming sports comedy, The Underdogs, which stars Snoop Dogg, Tika Sumter, Mike Epps, and George Lopez. A little bit of a different direction on that one. Yep. <laughs> And a little bit of horror towards the end here. February 2nd, we'll see the re, uh, the uh, shutter release of their feature-length Dario Argento documentary, Dario Argento Panico. Ooh. Got some interviews with Guillermo del Toro and a couple other people, too. So fawning over the Italian master. <laughs> and lastly, um, A24 has set a March 8th theatrical release for their romantic crime thriller, Love Lies Bleeding which is the latest from St. Maud filmmaker Rose Glass. Yay! Yes. It stars Kristen Stewart, Katie O'Brien, Ed Harris, Jenna Malone, and Dave Franco. And the trailer looks great. Yeah, and Ed, oh, Har- Ed Harris is just creepy looking with that long, long hair. <laughs> uh, stri- yeah, he looks evil. Rocking a skullet. He is rocking a skullet. <laughs> All right, thank you as always. You can always uh, follow Daniel on the socials at The Schlocketeer. Have a great holiday. Thanks for having me. Well, looking ahead to next week, since we had so many opening not only this weekend, but on Monday, Christmas Day, next week we're going to recap. going to recap the best of 2023. And as we speak, we are still, like Santa, making our list and checking it. <laughs> I think sure we're are. checking it many times. Yeah, we are. I think there are a couple of movies we're going to revisit over the holidays yeah. just to make sure we know exactly where they land in the yeah. top ten. Yeah, yeah. But there's some good, good stuff. So we'll talk about the best of the year next week. Uh, until then, boy, a lot to choose from this week. What are you loving this holiday weekend? Let us know. We always love to keep the conversation going. You can find us easily on Twitter. That's at uh, Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram and Threads. 
It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website, we can find all of our written reviews and other fun stuff, uh, including our horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all for you there on the website at madwolf.com. So keep in touch. Hope you will. Have a fantastic holiday season, and we'll be back next week to uh, wrap up 2020. Can you believe it? Wrapping up. 2023. Crazy. So we'll talk then. Have a great one. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. Happy holidays. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>